All right, so where to begin talking about this? So I want to I want to just go ahead and jump in um, without too much more delay here. And I you know I put on the description I want to talk about living a supernatural life, and uh, I want to I want to kind of define that term. And it is kind of you know it's it's a difficult uh, topic, especially at times like this. If you, if you talk about divine healing. You know, people will say, well, if you believe in divine healing, why don't you go to the hospitals and clear out the COVID uh, wards, uh, those kinds of things. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not that simple. Uh, so we'll, we'll get into some of that. But uh, one of the things I noticed, so most of you know, 2016, I can go back to August 13th, 2016, and I had this... Uh, uh, mystical encounter, a vision, trance, whatever you want to call it. I know some people don't believe in that, but most people that are here watching or going to be watching this believe in that. And uh, it was the most life-changing encounter that I've ever had. And it completely um, rocked my world in terms of my paradigm, my paradigm, my way of seeing the world, my model of the world, particularly as it came to my religion. And I began to realize that a lot of the things that I was struggling with mentally and emotionally um, were the result of the religious context, the religious beliefs, the toxic views and ideas that I held of God. And I didn't, you know, I, I just, I felt awakened. I didn't know there was other people that were going through this. <clears throat> and I went to go through this, I, I started going through this process, many of you with me, many of you as well, many of you who have connected since that time, going through this process that we call uh, now, that's being labeled and talked about as deconstruction, or the, the dismantling of our religious worldview, our religious paradigms. And it can be a, a very liberating and exciting time, but it can also be a very difficult and a very dark time. And I've become somewhat, you know, in a, in a very small way, but I've become somewhat of a voice for people who are going through that process. Uh, some people, you know, maybe I'm a little bit further along in that process than them, so I can, you know, at least share my part of the journey and they can see what what works for them. But one of the things I've discovered is that a lot of people end up uh, just becoming an atheist or, uh, I don't know, just just losing any kind of faith or any kind of uh, connection or sense of God or the mystical or the metaphysical or Jesus. And I guess you could say, <clears throat> you might say, you know, they throw the baby out with the bathwater. And the, the biggest difference that I've noticed between that um, group of people that are that are walking the path in that way and myself is that the the presence of the supernatural that has been in my life since I was you know <clears throat> 18 19 20 20 years old for a lot of people their Christian experience their religion doesn't really provide them any kind of divine connection and that's not just true in Christianity. That's true of most religions. Um, everybody can connect with the divine. I'm not, I'm not, you know, making it too generalized a statement. I'm just trying to distinguish between having real divine connection and having just a philosophy of life or a morality or a way of thinking about the world that's strictly intellectual and leaves you without any kind of power or life. Uh, or supernatural experiences or connections with God. And so one of the things that I was really blessed to have and have been blessed to have is this uh, connection that, you know, I've been able to cultivate over the years. 
<clears throat> yes, it depends on where you are prior to the deconstruction. Good point, for sure. Um, because there were times I thought, man, you know, um, that there's so many things messed up in the Bible, so many things messed up in our theology, that I would just think, you know, about walking away from all of it. But then I would remember all of the, you know, unexplainable things. And, I, and I'll watch people, they'll comment, you know, when I was in that, you know, I would pray for money and money would never show up. Um, I would pray for healing and never get healed. I pray for victory and never get victory. And, and I remember, you know, being part of the, the charismatic movement, and there were a lot of people who believed in prosperity that were broke, a lot of people that believed in healing that were sick, a lot of people that believed in manifestations of the Spirit but could not produce any. And the best they could produce were, were the very subjective ones. You know, speaking in tongues can be faked. Uh, prophecy can be faked. It's very, very subjective. Uh, and... So, you know, there's that frustration. We believe in this stuff, but we can't see it or we can't manifest it. I got to tell you, that wasn't me. Um, we, you know, we had numerous financial miracles that came through in our lives when we prayed. Numerous financial miracles that came through in our church as we were growing and developing. We had uh, signs and wonders meetings. We had testimony after testimony after testimony of people who were healed. Uh, miraculous things that occurred, things were, that were completely undeniably, there was no explanation for it. Uh, and I realized, you know, if I were to talk about some of that stuff, it's really difficult to talk about supernatural stuff because if you talk about it, half the people aren't going to believe it if they haven't experienced it. And then the other half, if they haven't experienced it, might become jealous or might begin to feel insecure or might begin to put you on a pedestal or think, wow, you've got some kind of direct line to God or something that I don't have. And none of that is true. Uh, and, and it can create this sort of codependent relationship where we need to get to the man of God or the anointed person or whatever in order to get results. But it just dawned on me when I was talking last week, and I've been thinking about this all week long, there were so many people that they did not experience those things. And back in the day... I think we thought that in order to experience the supernatural life like that, that it was contingent upon our doctrines. You had to have your doctrines right. You had to believe the right things. And if you could believe the right things and believe the truth, then you'd be able to manifest those things. And I just want to say, I, I think it's something totally other than that. So I want to look at some things um, from the scriptures. And I hope I'm not rambling too much. <laughs> I kind of am, but hey. Um, <clears throat> But just to define the supernatural, like when I'm talking about supernatural, I'm talking about the ability to make change in this concrete world uh, where you, as the person, are at cause. Uh, I'm not talking about subjective states of spiritual consciousness. That's not what I'm talking about. So people say, you know, why well, I, I saw an angel or I saw Jesus or I left my body or... Um, and that's the extent of their supernatural experience they're talking. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not talking about that at all. Those are subjective states of consciousness that can be induced. I'm talking specifically, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's part of spirituality. I'm not, I'm not criticizing that. I'm just saying when I'm using the term today, supernatural, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the ability to make, uh, concrete change in this world that can be empirically Verified. That means you can see it, you can you can test it, you can know it, and 
that you were at cause. You were the reason or the cause of that thing happening and taking place. Uh, another aspect, I guess, of supernatural would be if you can have knowledge of situations, <clears throat> uh, people, but it can be empirically verified. So the great example of that would be what we used to call the word of knowledge. Uh, if you're in a meeting and you can call out with some specificity um, what's going on in a person's body uh, with sickness and disease, what's going on in their life with some specificity, that can be empirically verified and rules out this sort of generalized language that we use, then that's something else that I would consider supernatural. Um, and the term's broader than that, but that's just what I want to focus on and talk about today. Um, so I want to start with, you know, the Genesis count, the Adam and Eve, the Adam and Eve story. I don't, I don't believe that historically or literally anymore. I don't think that's how we got here. I don't think that holds up to scrutiny empirical data or science, and I'm not even sure that the ancient um, Hebrews were writing that as a historical account. Um, that's debatable. That gets me in a lot of trouble. A lot of people got mad at me. A lot of people left the church, left the ministry when I said that because they couldn't handle that. But I think whether it's historically accurate or not, let's set that aside. I think there is a ton of truth in it. And what I think is really powerful and important in the story is that there are two trees in the garden, right? Two trees. Some people say it's one tree with two sides, whatever. But but you have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you have the tree of life. And I want you to notice it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God told Adam and Eve, in the day you eat of that tree, it's going to produce death in you. The day you eat at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's going to produce death. Now, first off... I want you to notice, again, I talked about this a couple weeks ago. There is no duality. There is no dualism. Dualism is when you have completely opposing categories that do not share any of the same characteristics and are completely binary. So in terms of good and evil, it's 100% good. Over here you have something that's 100% good with no aspects of harm or evil. And over here you have something that's 100% evil with no aspects of good, and they are in opposition to each other. If that were the case, then there would have been two trees, the tree of good, the tree of the knowledge of good, and the tree of the knowledge of evil. But it wasn't. It was one tree, the tree of the knowledge, one thing, of good and evil combined or mixed together so that... Uh, in everything good, there is some evil, and in everything evil, there is some good. And I know that's hard to get your mind around. But the key here is that when you eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then death begins to enter. And so Adam and Eve go, and they take the fruit, and they eat it. And the Bible says something very interesting. It says their eyes were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they became ashamed, and they covered themselves, and they hid themselves. And then they began to hide themselves or alienate themselves from the presence of God. And so then they're barred from eating at the tree of life. So I want to look at these things, not not as literal physical things. I don't believe, you know, that we got in this mess because, as I say it, two naked vegans um, ate the wrong fruit. I think it's metaphorically showing us something very powerful. And I want you to notice that the, that the knowledge of good, I'm going to say this a few times, the knowledge of good is just as deadly 
as the knowledge of evil. The knowledge of good is just as deadly. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that produces death. Then you have the tree of life. And so, how can we make sense of this? So let me just say it like this. I think the tree of knowledge represents the programming that we receive that is external to us from the world that encodes in our neurological and linguistic systems. I'll explain this more in layman's terms or whatever in a minute. It's the, it's the programming of the external world. It's taking something outside of yourself and devouring it so that you can know. And it's this lust and this pursuit of knowledge. I must be in the know. I must have this knowledge. I must eat this. And we'll talk about what eating that looks like. That produces death. And here's how it produces death. Because we lose connection with our own divine consciousness. We lose connection with our own authentic self, and we lose connection with our soul. So the person that we came here to be, we th- that person dies because we take on a different persona that has been fashioned and formed for us by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, by the knowledge of good and evil that we've been devouring. Or you could say it, it causes us to, be, to withdraw who we really are, become ashamed to just be openly naked, if you will, with who we are. And so we put on the fig leaves of a false self that covers that. And then we try to relate to God. And here's the problem. Here's the key. We try to relate to God out of that false self rather than from the inner place of the authentic self. And God becomes out there instead of in here. The, the perception and the concept, the, the connection with God becomes perceived as being other than, perceived as being an object that's out there. We lose connection with our heart. We lose connection with our authentic self. Therefore, we try to relate to God from the false self that has been conditioned by the knowledge that we have devoured. And we lose God, and God loses us, if you will, in the process. Now, I'm speaking metaphorically. It's, it's not lost in the sense of, you know, like we used to think about in evangelicalism. Does that make sense to you guys? So I'm going to read you some stuff from uh, uh, Carl Jung uh, that I think is so powerful. You know, people, the, the church hates Carl Jung and the psychologists, and that's because... In many ways, especially Carl Jung was a prophetic voice that was rebuking the church and exposing Western Christianity for what it was, um, you know, decades ago. Let's see, when was this? This was printed in, um, uh, when was this written? Let me see if I can find it on the copyright page. I want to say in the 30s. Um, 1944. I want to read you some stuff that he says here. Uh, He says, we can accuse Christianity of arrested development if we are determined to excuse our own shortcomings. But I do not wish to make the mistake of blaming religion for something that is due mainly to human incompetence. I am speaking, therefore, not of the deepest and best understanding of Christianity, but of the superficialities and disastrous misunderstandings that are plain for all to see. 
the demand that we make, the imitation of Christ, that we should follow the ideal and seek to become like it, ought logically to have the result of developing and exalting the inner man. In actual fact, however, the ideal has been turned by superficial and formalistically minded believers into an external object of worship. And it is precisely this veneration for the object that prevents it from reaching down into the depths of the psyche and giving the latter or the psyche a wholeness in keeping with the ideal. Accordingly, the divine mediator stands outside as an image while man remains fragmentary and untouched in the deepest part of him. Christ can indeed be imitated even to the point of stigmatization without the imitator coming anywhere near to the ideal or its meaning. So basically what what he's saying there is he's saying in the Western world, what we've done is we've taken uh, Christ and we've alienated him from ourselves, from our inner person, by making him an object that is outside of us that we then worship and become dependent upon. Uh, the same thing is true as far as sin bearing. We look at sin as this transactional. I talked about transactional religion where God's just up there somehow trying to monitor whether we're, you know, naughty or nice and he's writing stuff down and keeping track and keeping records. And then if we confess our sins, if we cast our burden of our sin on the object of our veneration, the object of our worship, something that is other than us, something that is alien to us, we throw it down there, then God clears the books, but it, it never leads to any kind of exaltation of the inner man. It never leads to any kind of opening of consciousness. So we could look at it this way. When Adam and Eve ate at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they closed off to inner consciousness and awakened primarily to external consciousness, to external programming, so that they become programmed from the outside in by the world around them, and primarily by language, primarily by linguistics, and the neurological connections that we make to language. So thus, knowledge. The more knowledge we devour, oftentimes, the more we die. The more knowledge we devour, oftentimes, the more miserable we become. Particularly, the more knowledge we devour about good and evil, the more we begin to judge and condemn ourselves, and we begin to judge and condemn other people. And we lose God, we lose our connection with God, we lose our authentic self, and therefore, we lose the ability to manifest the power of the kingdom, which is a consciousness that unfolds from within. So in other words, when, when man was created in the image and likeness of God, the issue for him to become like God was not to find it outside of himself. See, the serpent said, if you eat this, then you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the, the, the lie there, I guess, is subtle in the sense that you've got to go outside yourself and find knowledge that is out there and internalize it, eat it, internalize it, make it part of your neuro-linguistic system, make it part of your language, make it part of your own philosophy of life, and once you've done that, you'll be like God. That's the deception of religion. And so we go to church, and we go to Bible studies, and we read books, and we go to conferences, and we listen to voices. We listen about how to be a better Christian, how to be a better pastor, how to be, if you're a pastor, how to be a better wife, how to be a better husband, how to be a better leader, how to be a better 
better this, how to how to move in signs and wonders, how to prophesy, how to, you know, and we're just devouring knowledge, devouring knowledge outside of ourselves because we believe that's going to make us like God. When the reality is you have the imprint, you have the thumbprint of God on the inside of you. You have the imprint of God, the image and likeness of God. And the key to manifesting the image and likeness of God is not internalizing what's external. It's the exact opposite. It is externalizing what's already there and what's already inside of you. So in reality, in order to externalize what's already there, you've got to realize that God is not an object other than you or outside of you at all. You don't find God in the external world in that sense. You find God within. The kingdom of God is within you. Christ in you, according to Colossians 1.27, is the hope of glory. And until you can begin to turn inside and, and make that inward journey and make those inward connections, you cannot begin to allow the power of the kingdom that is in you to unfold in the world. But when your consciousness opens, when, when you can shed, if you will, and wean yourself off of the need to feed yourself knowledge that is external to you constantly and consistently all the time, eating at that, and you can go inside and find out the knowledge that is within you and begin to open up that knowledge that is within you and begin to unfold that knowledge of God and the kingdom that is within you, then you are at cause. And once you are at cause, you can begin to affect and change the world around you. So we've got it the, the, the opposite way. We have, uh, we allow the circumstances, uh, the influences, people, culture, society, whatever, to what's happening out here to impact us in here and respond so that we live at effect. So that if um, if everything's okay and I can go to work and I can make my money and I don't have to worry about, you know, getting sick and all the craziness that's going on in the world, then I'm doing okay. You know, I'm, 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 I'm feeling all right. But if, if all that gets taken away from me, particularly if I'm an extrovert, right, and I can't be around people and I can't have the things that I used to have, then all of a sudden now I'm, I'm angry, I'm frustrated. All this stuff, you see, I'm constantly living at the point of effect, being acted upon by something else that leaves me as the result of what is acting upon me. And there is no supernatural power or ability. You're completely cut off from the supernatural. Now, here's how religion cuts you off from the supernatural, because it also puts you at the effect of God's will. It puts you at the effect of God answering your prayer. It puts you at the effect of, you know, you know, if, if I'm praying to the God that's out there, that's other than me, and hoping and waiting and expecting that somehow the God that's out there is going to act upon my situation or act upon my life or act upon my mountain and move my mountain, then prayer is incredibly disempowering because that also puts me at the effect. So now, watch this. So, so if I'm facing a difficulty, Say I get sick, I have sickness and disease in my body, and I'm facing that difficulty. Then what's happening to me is I am being affected by the cause of the illness. That puts me at effect. And then I'm being affected by whatever level of medical science, you know, whatever breakthroughs there are there. That puts me at effect. And then if I'm praying to a God that's other than me, that's outside of me, you know, some white bearded dude in the sky somewhere, 
whatever, some blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus out there in the sky, then I'm also at the effect and the mercy of what is their, what, what's the decision? What, what, what is the decision? So all of it is disempowering to me. When, if we go back to the garden story, and again, I don't believe it literally, but if we look at it, what we're being told, what the ancients are telling us in scripture is that man is the icon of God. Man is the image of God and is meant to have dominion and be a ruler upon the earth. Now, that doesn't mean we become this all-powerful genie that can just manifest whatever we want, make things switch and go away. We can't, we can't be like Kenneth Copeland. I don't know if, <laughs> I don't know if anybody saw that video with Kenneth Copeland and COVID-19, but you know, we can't just command this stuff and expect it to happen. Um, uh, you know, just like that, because that's not how it works. Because, you, you know, the word karma, the word karma actually means to be at cause. And so there are, your karma, if you, if you believe in reincarnation and, and that kind of thing, um, you know, karma isn't this thing other than you that's, that's you know, they say karma's a bitch, that's just going to, you know, teach you a lesson. You did something to somebody else, and so it's going to come back on you. It's not how it works. The idea is that you have patterns of energy in your soul uh, locked up that it is causing you to create and manifest the same circumstances and situations over and over again. It's recognizing the fact that you're a cause, and so whatever's happening, you're bringing or you're the cause of whatever's going on and happening in your life. And so you'll keep recycling that until something changes inside you that changes the cause. So to live this sort of supernatural life, you have to begin to be at cause. Uh, I mean, that's just one of the aspects of it. Another aspect is you have to begin to really examine and really allow yourself to sort through and perhaps shed some of the programming that you received through language and through eating at the tree of knowledge, eating at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And going within and finding your authentic self, finding your, your soul, finding your vibration, finding your God impulse, finding that energy that is within you. And I, I'm going to get ready, I think in May, I'm going to do a Zoom class on some practical ways of how do we do this. Because I know people are going to be saying, well, but how do we do this? Um, and I, <laughs> a big part of the how, to be honest with you, is shifting your paradigm. As long as you're still, you know, begging and pleading and praying to a God that's out there, as long as you're trying to figure out what's the right way to do faith so that I can get God to act upon the situation for me, as long as you are eating at the tree of knowledge continually, then there's nothing, you're not going to be able to manifest that life or the, the consciousness or the power of the kingdom. And so what we end up doing then is, you know, we could have a class and then it's just more of the tree of knowledge and it's, it's messing things up. So it's shifting to realize that God isn't out there, God is in here. And therefore, the power to cause change does not come from outside myself. The power to cause change comes from within myself. That's the first thing. The second thing is to realize that because of eating at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we have a rational mindset. We have developed a way of thinking about cause and effect. That messes us up. So when we begin to want to manifest a change in our life supernaturally, and, and the reason I'm saying supernaturally is because it's going to bypass what you think has to happen in a cause and effect relationship uh, 
for you to get what it is that you want. Uh, and that's where we get messed up because we think in order for it to happen, the certain causal things, certain causes have to happen. And if those causes happen, then the effects can happen. But that's all locked up in our programming that we got from the world around us. So if I'm going to have more money, I've got to get a better job. Well, there's lots of ways to get more money that doesn't necessarily involve getting a better job. In fact, the belief that you have to work or that you have to have a job in order to get money is itself a rationalization. Uh, you know, I know people, and I believe them because I, I trust their integrity, who, you know, they, the, the Spirit of God led them to not work, and they were able to manifest supernaturally, manifest money, uh, manifest, you know, shampoo bottles, and uh, shampoo would just keep reproducing in, in the bottle. They'd have an envelope, and whenever they needed money, they'd go to the envelope, and they'd just pull out money, and the money would be there. You know, I know someone that lives that kind of a lifestyle. I had another friend that, uh, some of you know, that uh, just began to manifest, you know, trips around the world. Um, incredible stories of people just calling up, hey, you know, somebody you hadn't heard from since high school. And he wanted to go, I think it was, to Spain and didn't have any money, didn't have anywhere to go. And this person contacted him on Facebook and says, hey, I just happened to be in, I think the guy was in Italy or something. I just happened to be here, saw that you were here. I had a friend that I was traveling with, um, have an extra ticket. I'm going to Spain. Would you want to go with me to Spain? <laughs> and so just manifested that through the power of intention and meditation and what we call the law of attraction. So, again, we have to get outside these structures that tell us how cause and effect works. And that's not always easy to do, right? Uh, but, again, it's, it's, it's following the intuition. It's getting in touch with the energy. It's, it's finding, it's really realizing that it's all inside us, gang. It's all inside us. The kingdom of heaven is within us. The treasure hidden in the field is the divine consciousness, the mind of God that, that, that we are, the aspect of God that we are. Now I want to talk a little bit about this because I think this is also important. That your, you came here, you and I came here with some kind of a soul contract. I believe that. Some kind of a soul contract. Some kind of an agreement that we have with God. Some kind of an agreement that we have with the people in our lives. Some kind of an agreement that we have with um, our purpose that we're supposed to manifest. All of that's locked up inside of us. It's all there. It's going to come to you through an intuitive level of knowing. It's going to come to you from within. Knowing what to do in situations, knowing the right decisions, is going to come from within. Yeah, Vanessa says rewiring the subconscious mind. Absolutely right. It's being able to open that up and unfold that, that is really the key. What prevents us from being able to do that is the programming that we get. So, uh, from the world around us, from eating at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So I think the perfect example of this, the best example of this, and this is where I'll kind of leave off, and then maybe I'll answer some questions. Hopefully this has been helpful. Um, I'm just trying to say the key is to realize that you're not going to get supernatural results by praying to God or trying to follow some formula. You're going to get supernatural results when you contact the divine consciousness and the kingdom that's already within you, and you learn how to externalize what's in you by acting upon your intuitions, 
acting upon your own authority, acting upon your own godhood within you to manifest uh, from the inside out rather than trying to get all this knowledge and stuff out here. And if I can get it all out here, then I can. Does that make sense? And realizing that you've got to be a cause. You've got to be the one who manifests this change in your life. And in order for the change to manifest in your life, something has to change in you. You cannot live like a victim. You cannot live like a complainer. You cannot live in fear. You cannot um, constantly be responding to your emotional triggers that are outside of yourself and manifest very much reality of, you know, answered what we call answered prayers. Uh, it's not even a good term, really. You're not going to be able to manifest healing protection. Um, you're not going to be able to manifest money uh, or change until something really changes in you and you take full responsibility for everything in your life. Now, not, again, responsibility, and I know you guys know this, but responsibility is not, I'm responsible. I made this happen. This horrible thing happened to me because of my karma, or this horrible ha thing happened to me, and I caused it. No, responsibility is your ability to control your response regardless of what happens. So none of you are individually responsible for the coronavirus, right? None of us are. It's just something that's happening to us. But we are, we have the ability to stay at cause and respond to what's going on around us rather than to just fold our hand and and um and be a victim to what's going on. Book of Revelation chapter five <clears throat> says this in verse one it says, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, in the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now you gotta get the picture in Revelation. This isn't Jesus sitting on the throne. This is the the image of God sitting on the throne and the lamb slain which you could make an argument is also not Jesus, but I'm, that, that's for another time, uh, is in the center. But the one sitting on the throne hands the book to the Lamb. So, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll, watch this, written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. And so you know the story. Um, he talks about how the lamb and the lion and you know overcame and was worthy to open the scroll. Well, what's at the right hand of God? We're told everywhere, you know, that Jesus ascended right and sat down at the right hand of God. In Ephesians chapter 2, we're told that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. So what I would like to suggest to you is that the scroll is metaphoric of the programming that's within the human being. Say that again. <laughs> uh, so here's, here's how I would say that. You have within you, written on the inside, you have things written on the inside. Again, Scripture confirms this. If you need Scripture to confirm it for you, God's going to write His law in your heart and put it in your minds. So that's going to be the new covenant. The Spirit's going to be within you, right? So if you think about your soul as having a scroll of destiny within it, however you want to think about that, you have a life, you have a story that is written on the inside of the scroll. The problem is, is that the scroll is rolled up and sealed, and it has writing on the back. 
that writing on the back is the false you. That writing on the back is the you that has been conditioned and programmed by the world around you, by your experiences, by your traumas, by your family, by your, your race, by your culture, by news, by the, it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All that knowledge that you've been devouring is just writing on the outside of your scroll. And it's sealed, it's locked up, right? And so the, the key issue is to be able to open the scroll, to be able to remove the seals so that you can open the scroll. And when the scroll opens, think about this. When the scroll opens, there is a, uh, you, you see it like, like just think about you as a scroll and everything you've ever learned and been taught and whatever is written on the outside. But as the seals are broken and that scroll begins to open up, watch what happens. All that stuff begins to roll away and roll off of you. And this entirely new language, this entirely new writing, if you will, begins to just open up and be revealed and be released. Your language changes. Your way of thinking changes. Your way of life changes because now you're manifesting who you were before the foundation of the world. You're manifesting. So, so in that scroll on the inside is your soul contract and all the stuff that you were sent here to do and the power and the provision and everything you need to accomplish it. So that when you, be, when that scroll begins to open up, then your life begins to shift. Your life begins to come into alignment. People begin to come across your path that are supposed to come across your path. You come across the people's paths that you're supposed to come across. Uh, the provision that you need begins to show up. The people that you need in your life begins to show up. Um, does, does that begin to make sense to you? But, but there is a tension. There is a push. You have to push back against the programming and the external stuff that's going on around you so that you can absolutely begin to be authentic. You and I will never get into the fullness of blessing as long as we are hiding who we are in order to please the people that are in our lives. Now, I'm not saying that you just go out and be a complete ass to people and say, well, I'm just being my authentic self. And probably in our zeal, we've done that, a lot of us, and probably some of you will go out and do that. But the truth is, uh, you know, that's, that's not necessarily the wisest or the best thing to do. But you cannot compromise and lose your soul to gain relationships. And so sometimes you have to lose those relationships in order to let who you really are out. And, um, and when you begin to do that, man, your whole world will begin to shift and begin to shake and begin to change. So if I, if I were going to sum this up, I would say, the biggest thing I want you to take away from this is you have got to stop thinking about the God outside of you, Jesus other than you, Christ other than you, the divine other than you, and begin and, and quit looking at um, thinking that if you can devour enough knowledge, if you can learn enough, and if you can know enough, that you can really manifest anything of significance or power in your life. And by that, I mean learning from the outside. And if you can begin to realize that that divine consciousness, that treasure is within you, and you begin to search for it within you, you begin to try to feel the divine vibrations that are inside you. 
You begin to tap into the divine energy treasure house of divine energy that's within you. You begin to tap intuitively into the divine knowledge that is within you. Then you can and you will begin to manifest change in the world around you. And you will begin to have those supernatural experiences and and all that stuff. So um, that's all I had for today. I don't know. Hopefully that's helpful for you. Um, I can go ahead. I'm sorry I wasn't able to keep my mind or focus on what was coming up on the screen. Uh, thank you all so much for joining live. I appreciate that. All of you that are going to watch later, I appreciate it. Um, but if you have questions or comments, if you want to write them in the in the in the thing right now, um, I'd be happy to respond to some of that. Um. I'll give you a few minutes, some of you. Thanks, Kathy. Thanks, Stephanie. Thanks, Ray. I think one of the keys, too, to all this is that you, you have to be free to walk your path. And when you're free to walk your path, you're free to let other people walk their path, too. Um, you know, when you're not judging, when, when, you're, when you're paying that price for authenticity and you really are loving yourself in the process, then it's okay to let other people do the same thing. You don't feel like you have to control them, what they believe, what they think, how they live, all that crazy stuff. You can just worry about you. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. It's good, Corinne. You have to step into you to give to others. I agree. All right, guys. Thanks for joining. Really appreciate all of you. Be safe out there. Um, we'll continue along these lines, I think, when we do some of the other stuff on live. And like I said, I'm going to be doing a class, working on getting the details together. But I'm going to be doing a Zoom class in May. I am going to be charging for it. Um, I did put a donate button in the comment or um, um, at the top there if you want to go and donate. Again, if this is a time of lack for you like it is for a lot of us, I'm not asking you to give out of your lack so that we don't have any. But I realize also that some of you are essential personnel or your income hasn't really been affected. And so if you, know, if you find yourself in that place where you have some extra to share and you um, – uh, have been blessed and impacted by what we're doing, and you'd like to see us be able to reopen when we can reopen and continue doing what we're doing, um, then we'd appreciate any donations that we can get. Um, so that's, you know, on the donation button up there. Um, and if not, it's, you know, it's cool. We'll, we'll manifest it. <laughs> but anyway, I hope everybody's doing well. Uh, love all you guys. Thank you so much. Wish I could give a shout out to every single one of you. Um, but I'll try and respond in the comments later. Thanks for joining me again. Um, and, uh, hope you guys have a really, really blessed and wonderful day and week.